Exceptional Field Service Delivery creates, magnifies, and sustains exceptional customer experiences and brand loyalty. Welcome to the Super FM Podcast, Field Service Your Way, with me, Michael Israel. I'll lead conversations about critical issues in today's field service ecosystem with knowledgeable and experienced service management professionals. Now, let's learn something. Hello and welcome to Zuper FM, Field Service Your Way with your host, Michael Israel. Michael, how are you? I'm doing pretty good. How about you, Eric? Well, I'm excited. I, you have a dynamo on the show again today. Uh, you're do. bringing back David Knorr, founder of the Knorr Group, relationship economics advisor, educator, and executive coach. Man, this is a powerhouse. What are you doing today? What are you talking about? We are going to continue to talk about the concept that we've brought up a couple of times before, the concept of completed service work. Completed service work as opposed to yes, uncompleted sir. or just, you know, they sloughed off. A as opposed to inadequate or you could do better or, gee, why don't you think about what else you could do that might be add value for the customer? I can't imagine any listener out there has ever experienced a lack of service in their entire life. <laughs> I just <laughs> moved into a brand new house and, uh, I can tell you that I've had a couple instances where I've had a complete lack of service here. Well, but, I'm looking forward, but I won't digress. Yeah. I'm looking forward to your guys' <laughs> conversation today because I know you're going to highlight the best of the best. So take it away. Well, thanks very much, Eric. And hi, uh, Nor. How are you today? Mr. Israel, it is always good to be with you and that uh, producer extraordinaire, Eric Johnson. So good, good to be with you. Yeah, great. It's nice to be back with you again. We've had a few podcasts in the past. I've always thoroughly enjoyed them. And even more importantly, I can tell from the statistics that we look at that our audience enjoys them as well. So thank you for your past performance and thank you for everything you're going to do today and going forward with us. Much appreciated. My, my pleasure. It's always great to talk to you. And, and I love the fact that you and I talk about a topic that's near and dear to both of our hearts, which is, you know, exceptional service and really evolution of the, the service industry. Absolutely. So uh, today we're going to talk about completed service work and, and even more than just completed service work. But for the audience that perhaps has not uh, heard us talk about uh, completed service work in the past or perhaps has not read the, the papers that I've written, let me just quickly explain what completed service work means. Uh, first of all, it started from a concept called completed staff work. And the completed staff work uh, business process was uh, first initiated sometime in the 1950s. And essentially what it said was that any subordinate that is writing an article or a report for his or her superior should write it in such a manner and have it be so complete that when it was turned over to the superior, the superior need do nothing except sign it and pass it on. Doesn't need to review it or correct it or offer, comp uh, offer com commentary on it, just pass it on because it's already finished. Well, I took that concept of completed uh, staff work and applied it to service and uh, came up with the term completed service work. And what that means is that when someone, for example, a field service engineer, a field technician, is performing service work for a customer, when they are done doing the task at hand, it's important for them to also think about what can I do next? What questions might the customer have? What kind of additional education might they have? Are there things that I could recommend to them that could make their processes or the operation of their equipment even more effective and smooth? So in other words, just anticipating what additional 
things I could do, the additional things I could say to the customer that would add value over and above the work that I've already done. That's the concept of completed service work. To put it briefly, it's not what you just should do. It's also what you could do on top of what you should do. So, Nor, any comments on that? I know we've talked about it in the past. What's your yeah. What's your perspective? My favorite, my favorite uh, word, you know, one of many that that you shared was really anticipate. And and I and I got to tell you, I I um, Michael, I got to tell you, I I don't know if it's nature or if it's nurture, right? So people you and I have met in the service field who do anticipate that next request, that next need, that next expectation, and and kind of take the initiative to do that. I'm always fascinated. Were they born that way? Or is it a culture that the leader and the organization, the brand have built that you know values it and measures it and entices people to do that? Because we all see the exact same issue. It's who chooses to speak up and step up and point blank say, you know, as you said, instead of how do I do the minimal amount of work and clock in and clock out, take pride in what I do and and really anticipate going above and beyond that call of duty or the minimal requirement in my job to create not just meet expectations, but I think that completed service work is really all about exceeding expectations because oh, we absolutely. don't ex- we don't expect it, and when we get it, we're over the moon. Whether it's a B to C kind of a consumer experience or it's in a B to B environment, when that field technician, that service technician, that customer service, that technical advisor, that systems engineer goes above and beyond what we expect, we're over the moon. And I love that notion of how do you build a greater sense of anticipation in individuals, teams, and service organizations. Yeah, I think you've used a really important phrase there, and that is exceeding expectations. So you're absolutely right. I mean, sure, we've all experienced a situation where whatever, we got a service that was beyond what we expected. I'll give you a real-life example. We just moved into a new home, uh, or not a brand-new home, but we just relocated from Las Vegas, Nevada, to Albuquerque, New Mexico, moved into an existing house here. And uh, yesterday, we had a service uh, company come to clean the grout in uh, the tile. And we expected it to be clean, but it's much more than clean. It's like brand-new. I mean, it it has changed the entire appearance of the main part of the house just because they did an exceptional job of cleaning the grout. They exceeded expectations. That's completed service work. And and, and I want the audience to think of the other end of this pendulum, right? So, and and let me, let me, if the, if the audience doesn't hear anything else from me today, this might be really valuable. Relationships go bad with misaligned expectations. So you promised a certain level of expectation in your website, in your SLAs, in in, a, in the sales team's efforts to to close me as a as a customer. Right? You you you're whether you like it or not, whether you know it or not, you're 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 sending certain signals. You're making certain commitments of a certain level of expectation. When for whatever reason, and I would submit to you increasingly, customers do not care why something doesn't happen. But if you don't deliver up to that expectation, the gap is where we're going to have a problem. The gap is where I'm going to say, hold on a second. 
that's not what I paid for. That's not what our team paid for. That's not the experience we were expecting. That's the other end. When you, in fact, exceeded, now you, you, so you promised one level, and now you've over-delivered on that. Now what you're doing, and this is the part that directly translates into material value. Now you're creating not just happy or satisfied. I would submit to you that you're creating evangelists in those customers. And when you do it consistently, now you activate an army that can't wait to tell others about you and about. So you're activating this incredibly powerful engine of word of mouth that, oh my gosh, I bought this product and the product is fine, but the experience is unbelievable. And the service team just goes over the top to make sure that we're getting value and impact in our business from that product or from that purchase. And that you cannot, I would submit, you cannot buy the value of that word of mouth. You cannot buy that brand, that repute, that experience that you create consistently for your customers. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I, I kind of had to smile at the word evangelist because uh, you and I've talked in the past about an experience I had with an LG, uh, with a dishwasher and the young lady, the service that she provided for me, she promised to call me back, which she did. And then she promised to call me back a few days later, which she did. And ultimately a technician showed up and uh, resolved the problem that I had, but the service and the follow-up that she provided made me an evangelist for their brand. So yeah, I became an evangelist. And I think that uh, that happens with many people across many brands when the service is excellent. And, and, and again, I, I, I'm always fascinated about root cause of why something happens or why something doesn't happen. And, and, and we've all had experiences as consumers. So, you know, I travel extensively for work and I'm always fascinated. And, and I think the audience can relate to this. When you travel and you get to a hotel, what do 90% of, 95% of hotel front desks ask you when you first get there? Checking in? No, I actually am here to get my tires replaced, right? What, what do you, I've got to carry on. I'm, I'm dragging into your lobby. What, what do you think I'm doing here? So, so converse, conversely, you know, a, a hotel that may, may know you're coming, you're, you're the last guest, you're the last person that hasn't checked in that day, has your hotel room ready. You must be Mr. Noor. I hope your flight wasn't too taxing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, most, most professionals know how, what a, what a pain travel is these days, right? I hope your, you know, hope your travel was great. By the way, here's a complimentary bottle of water for you or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I would submit to you that if the check-in goes well, we'll, we'll excuse almost anything else. Think about it a second. If the mm -hmm. check-in goes well, we'll excuse any other inconvenience, right? Conversely, if the check-in doesn't go well, they don't have your room ready. Your room is the one that's 10 miles away down some hallway somewhere. Or, or you get there and your key doesn't work. Whatever. If the check-in doesn't go well, most of us will find anything else to, to, to complain about. Which goes back to the, the culture, the brand, the experiences. Every single time that field service, customer service, customer experience creates. Because... When I book a certain hotel brand, I'm expecting certain level of service. And when you don't get it, you're like, what? Who's running this place? And don't they care? And you know what? Next time, I'm going to go look for another brand. And the switching cost for many of us 
is becoming increasingly lower. And think of, again, just a hotel example. At, at any major intersection, there's multiple brands. Mm-hmm. So the reason I picked that brand is because I have had good experiences and I have a profile and they know me and they know and they cater to those wants and needs and expectations. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's I think, increasingly what customers of field service and customer service organizations are going to look for. Yeah, I think you raise an interesting point. The initial impression is important. I mean, we've always we've all heard for our entire lives first first impressions matter. And where service, I think initial impressions are important because if you have a bad initial impression, then as you said, your expectation is that other things are going to be bad. Um, and then in that instance, then the service provider has to recover. But if you start with an initial, a very positive initial impression, then there is no recovery needed. And you don't go into your environment or uh, uh, whatever you're doing with a negative attitude expecting other bad things which is a nice segue to a question i want to ask of you because i'm fascinated by this you know for years we've been talking about best of breed and i think mm-hmm. i recently heard you talk about best of breeds plural yep. so it's, it's, and i think you know given the complexity of most businesses today technology and their tech stack and their processes is the only way to keep up with those expectations and how to create a consistent set of experiences. So talk about what do you mean with best of breeds, plural, and, and as it, as it relates to, and we can talk maybe about that for a few minutes of what, as it relates to their, their processes and their technology. Yeah. And as it relates to uh, completed service work and how it, uh, how best of breeds enables uh, completed service work to even be more powerful than just a technician offering additional advice to customers. So first of all, we used to talk, you know, I've been in the software business for a long time and so have you. And uh, we used to talk years ago about be- our software is best of breed, best of breed. Uh, so you got to buy best of breed. Well, I mean, there are best of breed software applications out there still today, but the the, the most um, holistic approach to serving a customer is to have best of breeds all implemented across the tech stack. So for example, uh, we at Zuper offer, of course, a field service management system, but we aren't just a standalone system. We have multiple integrations. Uh, we have integrations with financial systems. We have integrations with uh, ERP systems. We have integrations with uh, survey systems. We have integrations with bill payment systems, with uh, finance, uh, financing systems. So best of breeds means being able to implement your core application, for example, with a variety of other applications that also cater to specific needs that the customer or the organization may have. So for example, uh, if a field service management system is integrated with um, a financial system for collecting payments, then it's very easy for the technician that's on site, the field service engineer that's at the customer to actually collect and process a payment using a credit card or a debit card, for example. In the small, uh, small to mid-sized business, there are individuals uh, or small companies that may need to have financing done for financing available for work they need to have done. So, if you have an integration to a instant financing system uh, like Green Sky, for example, or others, then you can provide the customer with an opportunity to have work done and pay for it by financing it over a period of time. So those are just a couple of, of examples with regard to financing. Uh, 
there are, there are multiple others, but uh, let me ask for your comments at this point about that. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more with you on, on, on what, what it sounds like a holistic or an all encompassing yeah. or a, almost like a wraparound processes and tech stack around that customer. And I would submit to you that if that relationship, and this is really for the audience, if that relationship is important to your business, if it's strategic to your business, what the best of breeds really conveys is a 360 degree view of that customer. And and I heard, Michael, I, I can't take credit for this. Somebody else, uh, I heard somebody else say this, that data is the new renewable energy. Data that is often trapped in these disparate systems or silos or corners of the organization that aren't integrated, that aren't utilized in real time and doesn't shed light on actionable insights might as well be useless. Because if service realizes and recognizes and is dealing with an issue, a problem, a warranty matter, a some sort of a an issue at the customer site, and that's not somehow captured and shared in the organization. And the sales rep calls, hey, Mr. Customer, how are things going? And by the way, I'd like to upsell you on something else. The customer is going to be thinking, WTF, don't, don't you people talk? And exactly. why wouldn't you know that we've had this, not only we're having, but we've had this service issue for some time. And it dilutes your credibility as an organization if sales, and by the way, marketing, Marketing is sending them emails to buy something they bought three years ago. Again, they're thinking, what's wrong with you people? Don't you talk? So if sales, marketing, customer service, field service, I would even submit to you taking it back to manufacturing to design for serviceability. If those parts of the organizations are not proactively talking, it's a missed opportunity because you're not getting a holistic view of that relationship. And in this year, as 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 well as any other, it is critical that you get and keep your finger on the pulse of that relationship with as many relevant data points as possible. Yeah, I agree. I mean, thinking just, just about field service activities, for example, I've mentioned a couple of these already, but uh, in order to have a complete 360 degree view of the customer and the customer's perspective, really, then you really need to have integrations with financial systems, with manufacturing systems, as you, as you just uh, cited, where information that is gathered in the field about the performance of a piece of equipment is automatically passed to a manufacturing engineering system, for example so that they can analyze whether or not there is a engineering change needed, a safety change needed, some kind of a product upgrade. And then once that is determined, that information could be made available to the service organization to let service know that a change is coming, or they can let the customer know that a change is coming. So that's kind of a, uh, kind of, kind of an ideal scenario, but that's exactly the kind of integration that needs to happen with field service and manufacturing and other similar integrations, as I mentioned, with finances, with calendars, uh, with uh, text, texting capabilities to customers, with collaboration across other applications uh, like Outlook and Slack, et cetera. So it's only when you have the integrations with every, every, every piece of software, so to speak, that can connect with a customer, that's when completed service work 
enters its totality phase, I guess. And, and, and yes. And, uh, there are parts of the organization that can in fact produce incredible insights that can have a ripple effect on other parts. So let me give you a, a very specific example. I was talking to a, an executive who's in charge of a call center and they were talking about, you know, they were doing their presentation and, you know, they were talking about how many calls they take and, you know, first call resolution and just mm-hmm. on a lot of great numbers, right? Average call and, so just a lot of great insights on their contact center, but whether it was inbound, outbound, it doesn't matter. But but they were really highlighting their ability to address immediate kind of the customer needs. And I, I, I'm a guest, and I of course you know me. I'm very shy. I'm very quiet. I'm very oh, yeah. introverted. And you know, in my quiet shy, I said, I, I apologize. Let me ask a question. Do you do you know the biggest reasons they're calling in for? Right, people don't call into a tech support because they're bored. Right, they have nothing else to do today. They're calling no, but- because they need something. Right. Yeah. And 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 it you know this executive didn't have it, but thankfully the right arm person was there, and this person had access to the information. I said, yeah, these are the top topics. And then I said, so what are we doing to be proactive? If if we know that some high percentage of our inbound calls are specific to this matter, what are we doing to get ahead of it? Back to that proactive and initiative and mm-hmm. and it turns out that they've known for several months that these three topics were by far the biggest reasons people were calling in but because it was another division in another geography led by another leader for whatever reason they weren't able to get ahead of it and it took somebody from outside to say if we know those are the common issues why don't we with training with education with onboarding with whatever it is, how do we get ahead of that to minimize that to, and by the way, we can now take 30, 40, 50% of the calls off of the contact center because now we've addressed it on the front end. Mm-hmm. And and it, it was a classic case of, you know, great data in one piece of the organization that, as you said, wasn't really shared with other parts or we're not asking. And I think this is the opportunity for the audience how do we ask not just more questions, but better questions? How do we understand the root cause? How do we simulate what-if scenarios? How do we integrate the relationships that are critical to our success into a much more proactive, if not predictive, if not you know, outcome-based upfront? Mm-hmm. And you've heard me, just last comment on this one, you've heard me talk about you know, everybody's masterful at postmortem, right? Could have, should have. Michael, I told you we couldn't have, we shouldn't have spent $10 million on that after the fact. I'm a big fan of pre-mortems. How do we get the right people around the table before we launch something, before we go out there to ask, what are all the possible ways we could de-risk it? What are all the possible ways we could shoot holes at it? So we're better prepared with that completed service work, with that attentive, proactive, if not predictive initiative and anticipate what that customer is going to need before we launch that product or that service or go to market with an update. Yeah. And I think uh, a big part of the answer is the data. I mean, you mentioned the data. So if we have integration, say if I'm a, if I, if I'm a field service software user 
and I have integrations to all of the applications that I've mentioned and others, uh, so that I have all of that data available to me in a central repository that can be analyzed using today's business intelligence tools. So you can spot trends, like you mentioned, in order to pre predictively and proactively take some action that will uh, benefit the customer in the long run or prevent some catastrophe from happening with some piece of equipment. That's where the integration with all of the relevant applications, relevant uh, SaaS software capabilities becomes really, really valuable is when you can take advantage of all of that data and do analysis on that combined data. And, and I would submit to build on that, I would submit leaders who might be listening or influencers that can share this with their leadership team. There's a fundamental difference between lagging indicators and leading drivers. Mm -hmm. So me looking at all the problem spots or all the inbound calls or all the field service and the parts we replaced last month is great. That should be one data point. How do we get ahead of it? Because I'm not driving by looking in my rear view mirror. What I'm doing is I drive by looking through the windshield. So how do we combine that rear view mirror is critical as are the side ones. So are you aware of your periphery? and potentially your blind spot. So all the data doesn't have to be just inside the organization. It also could come from the ecosystem in which mm -hmm. you function. But how do we get ahead of it? How do we, again, predictive. Uh, years ago, I worked with um, uh, ThyssenKrupp. The, the, mm -hmm. the, they're called mm -hmm. TKE now, the elevator and escalator mm -hmm. company, yeah, right? Yeah, familiar with them, and yes. It was brilliant. They had installed a board inside their elevators and escalators that with, with, with some great software and cloud-based technology, this is years ago, that was just, uh, the IoT was just really gaining momentum. And not only they, you know, the, the technology, the algorithm remembered the parts that had been changed, but it, because they had service data from a whole bunch of other cabins with a high degree of confidence and a series of algorithms, it could actually predict when that elevator bank would fail or when those mm -hmm. escalators would fail. Mm -hmm. And they've built a, not only a great predictive service, right, preventive service business, but if you imagine you know, in Manhattan where there's six bank of elevators, one of them goes down, now you've got rush hour traffic in the lobby. Or God forbid, if you've been at an airport and the escalator goes down, you're hoofing it up flight of stairs with the luggage because you can't use the escalator, right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. this is the fundamental difference between those that see service as a cost center and almost like an afterthought mm -hmm. and those who see service as a strategic differentiator, those that see service. And as you said, best of breeds, plural, and the enabling technology that is overlay of the processes to get ahead, to create a sustainable differentiation in their service offering, in their brand, in their reputation, and in the relationships they build with different stakeholders. Yeah, I agree. So let me let me try to uh, bring it to a summary point. You, you know, we've talked about what completed service work means at its at its basic um, core concept, but what we're talking about here too is expanding that concept to include being aware of all of the activities from any part of your organization that can have an effect and does have an effect on customer service. And that includes all the things that we've talked about, finance and manufacturing and communications and expense management and 
notifications to customers and surveys back to the customers. And we can just go on and on and talk about the various um, types of data that impact customer service. So the message is to have a total completed service work ecosystem, as you've said, Nor, it's very important to be able to easily integrate with all of the other SaaS applications that impact the customer. I'm going to go one step further. Michael, you've said it's important. I would submit it's critical. I would submit it is no longer a luxury. It is fundamentally becoming a necessity because, and and you know, I'm passionate about this topic. And I've been a student for a number, number of years. I would submit in every interaction, you're going to have pretty much one or two options. You're either going to enhance your credibility, your repute, or that relationship, or you're going to dilute it. Right? It's just only one or two places for you to go. Right? And how you know if I'm if I'm a field technician or if I'm a customer service rep, customer experience person, I I pick up that phone or I make that visit, and if I'm prepared, if I have the right parts on the truck. If I know them, if I know their equipment, if I get that issue resolved, I just enhanced my credibility as a as a reliable resource, my reputation as John gets it done every time he shows up here, and the relationship with that client. Conversely, if I have no if I have no visibility into what is it I'm walking into, I have no visibility into what parts I need on the truck or what parts should, or where that stuff is. I don't know the client. I don't know their environment. And I fumble it. Mm-hmm. The client's now thinking, again, what, what the hell did we pay for? What, what did we commit to? Do they, do they not understand that this product or the service that we bought from them is a means to an end? Which is, I don't, I don't live, you know, my day isn't revolved around that diagnostics equipment or that blood testing or that HVAC or whatever that equipment is. It's, it's, a, it's one piece in my entire day's journey. Mm-hmm. And and credibility, reputation, relationship. The tech stack, that highly integrated exchange of real-time data allows that technician to be better prepared, allows oh, that service call to go smoother, allows that customer service rep to solve their problem with the first call and we don't have to escalate it. It also creates, if that's the minimal accepted level, the upside is, again, delighting that customer, delighting, oh my gosh, this is so cool. I think I mentioned to you, my, and, and I don't think it does, doesn't have to be a an expensive brand, but my, my we have a Porsche in our family. My wife drives a hybrid and we were, we were at the dealership to get a, a, a rock in the windshield replaced. And you have to go to them because they have sensors in it and on and on and on. And the service advisor notices something else that he genuinely believed to be a hazardous situation. And without you know any cost to us, we show up to pick up the car. Oh, I also took care of this. And it's like, oh my gosh, that is so cool. And I literally said, what do we owe you? He said, nothing. It was covered under a recall and warranty and don't worry about it. And I'm like, I am not taking my car to anybody else but these guys. Mm-hmm. Because of that elevated, that delighted experience. And as I said, we, we all have this. My concern is they tend to be episodic. They tend to be once here, once there, even with the same company, this agent, but not that agent, this technician, but not that technician. And it, it, it demonstrates it's not a cultural norm. 
it's not something that is identified, recognized, appreciated, valued, rewarded culturally. It happens to be individuals that do that. Yeah, I agree. And uh, I just want to mention, you talked about uh, being delighted by the service. I would submit that it's more than just delighted. You, you have become a loyal customer. And you're not going to go to anybody else, most likely for the rest of your life or for the rest of the time that you live where you live. So it's building loyalty. And I, I would suggest that if you are a service provider and you are not taking the steps to provide the completed service work, not just at the individual technician or field service level, field service engineer level, but at the corporate level, then your competitors will. And if your competitors are going to do that, then you're not going to enhance or expand your business. They will. So I would just keep that in mind. One thing I would like to come back to very quickly before we close it off, you, you talked uh, and you just referenced it a second ago. It's the individuals that do the service and it varies from individual to individual. You talked about whether or not that is Nate, if it's nurtured or if it's just their nature. And I think for many people, it's a combination of both. Uh, if I come back to that fantastic young lady that took care of my dishwasher problem several weeks ago, I think she had the, it was her nature to be helpful, but more importantly, I think she was nurtured to be helpful. She was mentored very, very effectively to have the right attitude with a customer, the right service perspective, and understand that what she did was important, not only for me, the customer, but it was important for her company as well. And it was important for her because it gave her a great sense of pride. So I think uh, people can be trained um, to provide that kind of service. For some people that are just timid by nature, I, I think they can also be mentored to somewhat overcome that timidity. So I think it's a combination of both for individuals that are providing service. And, and, and I actually uh, absolutely agree with you. And, and um, Michael, I found years ago a fascinating uh, research that showed what our parents did for a living drove a lot of our values, knowledge, values, skills, behaviors when it came to a heart of service. So if our parents were um, in a service environment where they had to serve others to succeed. We saw that mm -hmm. as, as kids and adolescent. And we, you know, you know, I, I recently met a woman who grew up in the hotel business mm -hmm. and her entire life, her and her sisters are all were working in the hotel that her parents owned. And so she understood the value of guests yeah. and guest experience. And, you know, 30, 40, 50 years later, in a separate business that she now owns, the service was exceptional. Mm -hmm. And it's because I think she was raised that way. So I mm -hmm. think part of it is absolutely nature. You're born, you were raised that way. And then if you think of organizations and brands that have a world-class reputation for their, you know, if you think of Ritz-Carlton, if you think of Nordstrom, if you think of mm -hmm. some mm -hmm. of the brands that we all know just to have an exceptional experience for that world-class service, they've made it a cultural uh, fabric of their organization. They've made it a cultural commitment to not just hire and compensate great people, but let's commit to as leaders to an exceptional experience every time with every touch and every integration of 
tech stacks and processes that we bring in that empowers and enables those individuals to deliver the best possible service they can. Well, it's a, those are perfect examples of completed service work cultures. Absolutely. So, Noor, once again, it's a pleasure to be able to talk to you. I always, always enjoy your insights and your nuggets. And it's a, it's a great pleasure for me to have you as a friend as well. So, Michael, it's very kind of you to say. It's always great to see you. And for our audience, if you can't see, Michael Israel is sporting a stand-up-to-cancer T-shirt. And because not only is he a fighter and a survivor, but a big supporter of, uh, of the cause as well. So kudos to you my friend, for all that you do at Zuper, in the service industry, and humanity in general. So well done. You're a kind man. Eric, back to you. Thank you very much. Gentlemen, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for your time, all that you do uh, for the community and for us as the public. Well, it's our pleasure, Eric. Thank you for your support in, uh, in these podcasts. Greatly appreciated. Oh, I love it. Absolutely. And of course, our last thank you goes to you, the listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to Zuper FM, Field Service Your Way, with Michael Israel and David Knorr. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when the guys come out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. And we humbly ask that you share this podcast, rate it, and leave a review, as this actually helps others find the show. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at Zuper FM, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Zuper FM, field service your way. Insightful discussions and advice that help you position your field service operations as a powerful force in building enduring customer loyalty. And remember this, when you deliver excellent service to your customers, you're also facilitating their ability to provide superior service to their customers, which strengthens brand loyalty among their customer base as well. Thanks again. Please join us next time.